In the name of God, amen. Please be seated. Have you ever known a moment of absolute and utter anguish? Have you ever experienced a season of total desolation, of helplessness, of hopelessness, where it seems as if you've been utterly, completely abandoned by your loved ones, by life, perhaps even by God? For this entire Lenten season, the last 40 plus days, your clergy have been sharing stories of non-egoic surrender, of times where it feels like life has brought us to our knees, that circumstances of life have forced us face down to the ground with no choice but to not necessarily give up, but to give something over our desire or illusion of control, our willfulness over to some higher power. And it seems to me like the entire drama of Jesus' life, and especially of this Holy Week, culminates in this moment of surrender that we hear recounted in John's Gospel passage. In the Passion, we see Jesus brought to his own knees by forces of injustice, of degradation, brought face down to the ground in his own moment of ultimate surrender. In the time that I have with you, I want to try to connect our collective story to Jesus' story. Because I think by looking closely at the way that Jesus sits in the midst of his suffering, not running toward it and not shying away from it, by learning how Jesus embodies a spirit of deep self-surrender, we're able to access perhaps a little bit more hope, a little bit more joy, and a deeper capacity for love in our own lives as people of faith. I think that the first time I really tried to live into the drama of Holy Week and contemplate Jesus' sacrifice was in my first year at seminary. I was a quite intense 25-year-old who took most things pretty seriously. And I was wrestling with these weighty questions, the theological questions of who God is, how this whole drama of salvation unfolds and impacts our own lives as people of faith. And I was serving in a church community that seemed pretty well-suited to that, sin, that seriousness and intensity which, with which I was living out my own life of faith. It was a place called Christ Church New Haven that was built in the late 19th century, large stone Gothic place, and it celebrated very high church Anglo-Catholic liturgies. Every Sunday, we would have a two-hour service that they called Solemn High Mass. And solemnity was kind of the name of the game. And I can remember that first Lenten season as a seminary student practicing every spiritual thing that I could to draw deeper into an appreciation of Christ and Christ's sufferings. 
I can remember fasting for days on end, reading the Bible for hours at a stretch, and trying to sort of will myself into a posture of the heart where I could have a deeper felt sense of the suffering that Jesus underwent. One of the things that I did that Lenten season in Holy Week was avail myself of a sacramental rite that I didn't even know the Episcopal Church offered, which is the reconciliation of a penitent or confession. And so I sort of mustered up my courage and went into the church one day during Holy Week and knelt in the pews beside the rector, a guy named David Cobb. David was about my father's age, and we had sort of a paternal, filial relationship. And I can remember kneeling there in prayer and rehearsing for him this little litany of sins that I'd committed. The lack of motivation I felt in my studies, the envy I felt for fellow students, just the, this whole kind of mess of confusion, things done and left undone. And I remember Father Cobb turning to me with a little bit of tenderness in his eye and saying, you know, Travis, sometimes we commit real sin and harm to other people and ourselves that we need to bring before God and repent of. And then a lot of life is just growing up. I think Father Cobb sensed in me that I was taking this life of the spirit of spirituality so very seriously. And I think either he or the Holy Spirit through him was trying to disabuse me of the notion that following Christ means in some way seeking or trying to emulate in this over-serious way the suffering that Christ endured. I think rather God for all of us desires deeper realities of joy, of hope, of love and liberation. Of course, suffering is an inevitable part of the Christian life, of life in general, but finding new ways to access hope in the midst of it is, I think, what the life of faith is all about. During that first year, I started studying theology for the first time, and I remember being intensely preoccupied by this question of incarnation, of how God, who created all things, became human and walked among us and experienced so much of what we human creatures also experience. And this theology of incarnation is encapsulated in one little phrase in the Nicene Creed, Jesus, true God, true man, fully God and fully human. And I remember being amazed at meditating at what Christ's humanity might involve. I know that at that time of my life, and to some degree still, I was, I was wrestling with all these questions of how to live out my faith and find a path forward that felt like I could get, be of service and also um, offer my gifts in service of the larger world. And I remember seeing the, the feeling a sense of comfort when I read the Gospels and saw that Jesus and his humanity also experienced moments of deep, profound confusion. He's always asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? As if he's trying to figure out his place in this grand scheme of liberation that God has designed for all people. 
There are all sorts of moments throughout the gospel where we see Christ's humanity on full display. And I think one of the most poignant ones is actually in this moment of passion that we heard recounted from John's gospel. But in a version of Luke, in Luke's version of the passion, we see Jesus at a point of absolute agony. And I know what it is to feel anxiety so keenly that it's difficult to contemplate even leaving a room or addressing myself to other people. I know what it's like to feel weighed down with depression like a fog that seems like it'll never lift. But Jesus in Luke's gospel is so overcome by anxiety and despair that he sweats blood. He sweats blood, which is an intensity of human emotion that I can't even begin to fathom. Of course, Christ also feels this moment of abandonment on the cross when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think it is a comfort to realize that God in Jesus experienced all of the confusion, the chaos, the turmoil, the suffering and hurt that we also experience. But the true good news, I think, comes in the second half of that description of who Christ is. Not just fully human, but fully God as well. One of my favorite saints is someone named Athanasius who said that he's one of the architects, actually, of the Nicene Creed. And he said that God became human so humans could become God. And I don't think he means this in some sort of mystical transactional sense, that by becoming incarnated in Jesus, somehow um, we're saved from any experience of suffering or difficulty that we experience in our humanity. Rather, by studying Jesus' way of being in suffering, we find ways of responding to the world, of embracing life that allows us to transcend our suffering or at least find new possibilities of hope within it. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus' divinity, divinity on full display. But for me, the most poignant moment comes in this encounter with Mary and the beloved disciple on the cross. Jesus has weathered so much suffering, so much degradation and injustice. And yet, as he hangs there on the cross... And his final act on this earth before giving up his spirit, he looks down at these two people he loves, at his mother and his beloved friend, and he commends their care to one another. Rather than focusing on his own suffering and hardship, he summons up the presence to try to instill a little bit of hope, a little bit of love for these two human beings he so loves. And when in the midst of our own suffering, we can remember that suffering is not all there is, that some deeper reality of hope and love is here at our access, when we remember that and live from it by turning outside of ourselves to incarnate love for others, we truly do become divine and participate in the life of God. There, I've heard it said by theologians that, and I think this is a definition that clinical psychologists would probably agree with, that the definition of despair is thinking that tomorrow will be just like today. We know what it's like in certain seasons of disheartenedness to think that there's no possibility of change, 
for a break in the fog and the cloud that might surround us. But we, of course, are not just a Good Friday people. We're an Easter people. Suffering is inevitable. To trope on that saying of Ben Franklin, death and taxes, those are the only two certainties in life. Suffering goes along with it. And though suffering is inevitable, hope is optional. Though suffering is an inevitability, love is also always a possibility. And just as it can seem like in the midst of a long Wyoming winter, spring will never come again, we know that once again the green grass will show through the snow, flowers will burst through. And just as we sit here in the difficult despair of Holy Week, of this Good Friday, we know that an Easter dawn will break beyond. So let's hold fast to that hope. Amen.